0: Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, program 21, episode 58. Paul writes, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That was the legal acquisition. The payment he used for that acquisition was the blood of Messiah Yeshua. And shalom once again my friends. This is Avi Ben Mordechai and we have returned once again to our program Real Israel Talk Radio. And on the episode that we're dealing with today, this is the 5th in our program series on Yeshua and salvation. And uh, we're going to talk about the messianic redemption and find out a little bit more about what this is all about. But as I said on the last episode, none of this material is a prerequisite for you to be saved or to have salvation given to you freely in Yeshua's name. Not at all. In fact, just knowing this information does nothing for you. Rather, The purpose for presenting this information in the details that I'm presenting it is so that you will have a better appreciation for exactly what it is you are saved from and what you are saved to. That's the ultimate objective that I'm trying to present here. So that is why I am taking the time to give you all the details of this Messianic Redemption. But again, as I want to state very clearly, there is no prerequisite whatsoever that in order to be saved, you have to understand and know this information. That is simply not the case. Your faith in this messianic message of Yeshua is all that is required. But if you want to go on and get some details to really understand and appreciate this so much better, Why, then, this is something that I think you should consider, which is to understand the details of what it all means. So now let's continue where we left off on the last episode. We were talking about Mark 10.45. And this is Yeshua's word, where he said, "...for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve." and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, understand that the term ransom in English does not really present itself in the best way possible to understand the concept in Hebrew. In Hebrew, the idea of a ransom or a redemption is that of the Hebrew root kaf fe. Resh. This is the root that gives us the word kapar or kippur. The idea of this root gives us the word for atonement or expiation, uh, absolution, a substitutionary payment. So this is the idea of a ransom. Let's say you were going to go out to lunch with a, a friend or a family member. And you say to them, hey, I'll, uh, I'll pay for this. Eh, I'll cover it. No problem. It's on me. Then this is the idea of kippur or kapar. It means you're going to make a cover or a payment on behalf of that person. You will make the substitution for them so that they don't have to pay for the lunch. You will cover it. That's the idea of kippur or kapar, the same idea that is given for us in the word yom kippur, a payment or a covering or some kind of ransom. And that's the idea behind Mark ten forty-five. So you could easily translate this as The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a covering or a payment or a substitution for many. So Yeshua could be called your redemption voucher. It's a voucher given to you in his name, and you can redeem it for whatever it is that he is giving you. In this case, it would be his blood redemption, that is, a payment through his life. So now let's go to 1 Timothy 2, 5-6, as I discussed on the last podcast. For there is one Elohim, or God, and one mediator between Elohim and man, the man, Mashiach Yeshua, who gave himself a ransom, or if you will, a covering, or a substitution, or a payment on behalf of all of us. Which is why Shaul, or Paul, writes in Galatians 4, 4-5, through But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, or if you will, kapar, to make a cover or a substitution, or a substitutionary payment, or a redemptive payment, or something for which you can redeem your life through him. He gave that to make a payment for, or a covering of, and for those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And... Being under the law is under the law of sin and death. That is, that's the tree of the knowledge of good but evil, or what Paul often calls the law of sin and death. So that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is what Adam and his woman or his wife, Hava, what they ate from. They took from that tree. They were hoodwinked or snookered into taking a bite from that and making a covenant with sin and death. And in doing so, that event triggered off an entire downline curse that has followed humanity for the last 60 centuries, at least up to this point. So for the last 6,000 years... All of mankind, I don't care if you're a Gentile, a Jew, or I don't care what religion you follow, it doesn't matter. Man is man. Humanity is humanity. And every human being comes under the law of sin and death. That is, every human being comes under the law of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Simply put, you can call it a DNA genetic imprint that's been passed down to every single one of us, and we inherited that imprint. So really, there is nothing, and I say nothing, that you or I can do to get freed from that curse, from that genetic imprint. Sorry, folks, I wish it could be more Positive about that, but there is nothing we can do to get free from that. According to God's law, the requirement is death. Plain and simple. And not just one death, but two deaths. That is, it's the word death in a physical sense and a spiritual sense, which is where we're getting all this from in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. When the phraseology there is being reflected with two words, that is, mot, for a physical death, and then it changes its structure to tamut, meaning a death yet to come that has not been completed. So there are two deaths here, physical or material and spiritual. And those two deaths... They form the basis for the understanding of why we need redemption. Because that redemption that we're after is going to break us free from the tree of the knowledge of good, but evil, or break us free from that law of sin and death, which is good news. I don't know who would not want that kind of a redemption, but... We often go through all the motions in humanity to basically say, ah, I don't need this Jesus or this Yeshua. I don't need all of that nonsense. All I got to do is just work real hard and, you know, cover the balancing scales with my good behaviors over my bad behaviors and, you know, God will look at that when I come to the pearly gates, so to speak. And he'll say, well, you know, look, I mean, I can see you did good. And over there you did a few bad things. Okay, look, you know, you did good. That's all right with me. Come on in. No, he, no, he doesn't work that way. It's not written that way in the Bible. What he says is, I'm sorry. Get away from me, you who practice lawlessness, which is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 7. That is the gospel of Matthew, or Matthew, chapter 7. This is what it's all about. We're trying to free ourselves from this death curse that has fallen on all mankind. And that is a serious issue that we need to get resolved here. And so with this death curse that falls upon all mankind, there is only one way to get freed from that curse. And that is through Yeshua and what he bought for us through his work on that tree or that execution stake that we're going to learn about. He did it for us. We cannot do it ourselves And the way we get free from that curse is only, I said, only through resurrection. That's it. So if you don't have a promised end times resurrection, I'm talking about the resurrection that's mentioned in the book of Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6. If you don't have that end times, early first resurrection, you will not make the grade and be able to enter the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God or what Judaism calls the olam haba. I mean, that's just the plain, simple fact, according to written scripture, according to the Bible. Now, I'm not a judge. I can't judge you or anybody else in my life. That's not my job is to judge somebody and say, well, you're just not going to make it or you are going to make it. Absolutely not. Uh, That's not my role. I'm simply giving it to you the way I read it in the word of God, the Bible. And if that is true, and I do believe it is true, then we have to take some serious consideration for those words. So that's why Paul is saying what he's saying in Galatians 4, 4-5. through 5. He says that Yeshua's kapar, or his redemption payment, his covering, is for those who were under the law, or those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Well, since it is a fact, and not a theory, that we are all under the law that is the law of sin and death in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that happens the moment that we come into this world and we breathe our first after getting hatched out of our mother's womb. We come into this world and we got sick. We are sick. And if you doubt anything I'm saying here, just look at a little baby, look at an infant, look at a one or two or three year old. You'll start to see that, hey, this selfish me first thing, it starts developing and you start seeing it at a very young age. And that's why we need to train up our children in the way that they should go, meaning go toward the redemption, go toward Jehovah's justness provision there is no better place to see this than in proverbs 22 6 where we learn the following train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from her not him not it he will not depart from her why is this written in the Hebrew with a third person feminine singular as her? Why is it written that way? I think the answer can be found in Romans eight fifteen through seventeen. Let's read it together Romans eight fifteen Shaul Paul writes. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. What is this talking about in verse 15 of Romans 8? It's talking about the idea of, of proverbs 22 verse six train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from her this is referring to the spirit of the living elohim the living god we are to teach and train a child in the way he should go, which is to walk in the Spirit, to receive the justness gift of Jehovah, because that's the only gift that will give us the reward of regeneration in our mother's womb, the womb of heaven, and the first early resurrection. That's the whole point of training up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from her. Well, that is the idea that I think is embedded right into Romans 8.15, where we are to receive the spirit of adoption because we are born from above or born again. And in that resurrection... We belong to Yehovah because he gave us the Ruach or the spirit, which in Hebrew is feminine. It's not a masculine idea. The spirit, the Ruach in Hebrew is a feminine idea, a feminine concept. Whereas in Greek, it's simply referred to as a neuter. That is something that is neither masculine nor feminine. And those of you that can speak additional languages like Spanish or French and many other languages, you know the idea that languages are gender specific, that a tree, a house, a car, a window, clothes, a person, they all have a gender assigned to them, either a masculine or a feminine gender. In English, we don't have that kind of gender relationship, simply a house, a car, a computer, whatever. We just call it an it, that is, something that is neutral or neuter. And I can tell you a funny story that I remember when I was in Israel years ago, you know, and my computer needed a little bit of repair. So I went into the computer shop in Jerusalem and I uh, talked to the uh, the computer guy. I talked to the guy there and I said, uh, you know, to him uh, in Hebrew that I would uh, like him to uh, fix my computer. And his response to me coming back, from Hebrew was essentially what's wrong with him, you know, was taken aback by that at first because I was so new to Israel and I wasn't quite sure what was going on there. And he was calling my computer a him rather than an it. And uh, then I got the message. I understood, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, because my computer is a masculine gender, not a feminine gender. So this is the general idea that I'm trying to drive at because it's the very same idea that Paul was dealing with in Galatians 4, 4 through 5, of walking in the Spirit, being trained to walk in the Spirit, that we might receive the adoption as sons. This is a beautiful idea in Romans 8, Verse 15, when he says, We have not received the spirit of bondage again. That is, going back to the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. No, we're not going back to that bondage because in Yeshua we have been freed from that bondage. Yes, we have. So then Shaul says, no, we have received the spirit of adoption. Why would he say such a thing? Because we have been transferred from death unto life, from darkness unto light. We have been transferred. We've been moved from a family of death and destruction to a family of light and And eternal life and truth. That is the adoption. Those of us who are walking in the Spirit. And what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Simply, very simply. It means to receive His justness that He provides for us in Yeshua's name. That is what it means to walk in the Spirit. And then Romans 8, 16 says, the spirit himself. Now, I wouldn't put it that way because the translators are putting himself. But in reality, it should be the spirit herself because it is a feminine idea in Hebrew. And Paul is thinking in Hebrew. Even if it's written in Greek, I know he's thinking in Hebrew. He was a Hebrew scholar. So, Shaul would have been saying, the spirit herself bears witness with our spirit that we are sons or children of God. And our spirit is our Ruach, which is our breath, which then gives us the Neshama from above. That is the soul life spirit of Jehovah. That spirit. The feminine spirit imbues us with that wonderful spirit and breath and soul life of Jehovah. So the spirit herself bears witness with our spirit. And you can go and look at this in the Hebrew text, if you will. Just read a little bit of a Hebrew and you can see where the spirit, the ruach or the neshama inside of us It's mentioned as a feminine entity. It doesn't matter what kind of a body you're in. Your soul is feminine because it's the spirit of Jehovah, by which we are crying out, Abba, Father, who gave us his spirit. That's the word of God. That is the spirit of the law. And that's so beautiful. And it's through that, that we may be glorified with him exactly as Yeshua was praying in the garden in John chapter 17. So again, this is the idea that is giving us the foundation for that messianic redemption in First Timothy 2, 5 through 6, when it is said there is one Elohim and one mediator between Elohim and man, the man Mashiach Yeshua, or Messiah Yeshua, who gave himself as a covering, a reconciliatory payment for us so that we could get out from under the curse of death and go in the resurrection with him from death into life. He's the only one that has given us resurrection. And there's a lot of teachers out there all through the ages and epochs of time, all these great people that think they're really something. They're all either going to die or they are dead. They have never, ever resurrected. And that is the difference between us and them. We have a Messiah that resurrects as opposed to their teachers, or their messiahs, if you want to call them that, that don't resurrect. Let's take a break. This is Avi ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, program 21.0 episode 58 welcome back to the podcast of ancient roads real israel talk radio once again here's your host avi ben mordechai okay we're back thanks a lot for joining us in this second half of our program on yeshua and salvation here on real israel talk radio Okay, let's talk a little bit about who owns the bond of this legal contract. In Genesis 3.22, we learn the following. Jehovah Elohim said, Behold, the man has become as one from us to know good and evil or to know good but evil. Basically, that's the way it reads from Hebrew. But due to English syntax, it's being translated as Behold, the man has become like us to know good and evil. I don't really care for the idea that he has become like us to know good and evil, because I think it's just giving us the wrong understanding as to what this is really all about. But the Hebrew is much, much richer. It's much more accurate as I'm reading it. It says the man has become as one from us to know good and evil. Well, what exactly would that refer to? To become as one from us. Let's say that you're married and we know that in marriage... You become one with your wife, and your wife becomes one with you. This is a oneness contract, where the two become one, based on Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. The two become one. And we know, of course, that Yeshua, in John chapter 17, had been praying about becoming one with the Father. And that was in John chapter 17, verses 21 and following. So he wants us to become one with the Father. Well, that oneness idea is a unity. And I know my wife. She knows me. I know my father. My father knows me. You know your father in heaven. Your father in heaven knows you. You are one with him. So what happens here in Genesis 3, 22? The way it's written is giving us a very clear understanding that Adam and Hava, they broke the oneness agreement that they had with their master, with their king, with their father, with their Messiah, with the word. They broke that agreement. And what did they do? They went away from that agreement, please listen to me. They went away from that agreement, they walked away from it, they jettisoned that agreement, and they decided we will become one with the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. Now, they decided that simply by doing what Jehovah said not to do, they left that oneness bond with him, and they replaced the oneness bond that they had with him, and in its stead they became one with the tree of the knowledge of good but evil in order to know good and evil. Those of you that know Hebrew or some Hebrew, you will understand that the word know in English is represented in Hebrew by the term Yada. And Yada is mentioned, for example, in Genesis 4 1, where Adam knew his wife and she conceived. This is an intimacy of experiential knowledge. That's what this is all about. Experiential knowledge. To know by experience and intimate experience. Good, which is evil, according to Genesis 3.22. So they left that bond of oneness from Yehovah, from the Word, and they replaced it with an intimacy of knowing good but evil. They became one with sin and death, or good but evil. That's what happened. So, Jehovah says, the man has become as one from us. In other words, the man went away out of us. They left their linkage, their connection with Jehovah, with the word, they left it and turned their back toward him and became one with the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. The relationship that they once had with Jehovah has, according to this verse, been transferred over to the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. They became one with that sin and death tree in the same exact connection and link that they originally had with Jehovah. They just traded one thing. For another thing, that's the point of Genesis 3.22 as I'm reading it in Hebrew. So therefore, this is a transfer contract. Because Adam and Eve, Adam and Hava, they had an agreement. They had a covenant. They were created by yud heh vav the word, walking in the garden. They became one with him in that relationship. I can't stress this enough. And so when they turned their back on that relationship and came to be one with that tree of sin and death they transferred their bond or their ownership contract from Jehovah to the nahash or the serpent that is the Genesis chapter 3 Satan nahash devil dragon as you often will see in the new testament yeah they just changed to go over to him and so that bond became the bond or the contract of sin and death so when we are born into this world we've got a legal binding contract with the law of sin and death with the Nahash who is the owner of that tree of sin and death. We have a legal contract with him when we're born. This is why we've got to get born again, because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of Elohim or the kingdom of God. So this is the point as to why Paul Shaul writes in Colossians 1, 13 through 14, he, referring to the word in the context, the devar, the word, the Messiah, he has delivered us, or if you want to put that in Hebrew, he has saved us from the power of darkness Because it does have power over every one of us when we're born into the world. And what happened? He says that we were saved from the power of darkness and we were conveyed, conveyed or transported or transferred into the kingdom of the son of his love. And then he says in whom we have cover. We have redemption. We have ransom. We have payment through his blood. And what is that? That is the forgiveness of sins. And the forgiveness of sins here, that's a simple understanding. That's of the sins of Pesha, which is infidelity, and Avon, which is twistedness and to be bent. Those sins fall under the category of the sins that have entangled us because we inherited that from our original parents in the Garden of Eden. That's Adam and Eve or Adam and Chava. They conveyed it to us. They conveyed that bond with the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. They transferred and conveyed that bond that they had with us through blood transfer all the way down line, which affects all of us with a curse of sin and death here in humanity. But we can get out of that through Yeshua. And in getting out of that, in getting cut From that bond, we are now given a new legal contract transferred to us through Yeshua's blood or his life. Therefore, who owns the bond? That's the word, the Messiah, our king. And his kingdom is about the word eternal. So our contract is now with a new master. Essentially, you could say we're under new ownership. That's the Colossians 1, 13 through 14, redemption. So this is a great opportunity to now bring us over to First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. Knowing that you were not covered, paid, redeemed... With corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct. I love that idea, aimless conduct. When I read the word aimless just on the surface, it gives me this idea of the term in Hebrew, nun, daled, hey. Do you remember Cain or Cain in the book of Genesis right at the very beginning? Do you remember when he killed his brother and that whole event happened? Then the text says that he went out to the land of Nod or the land of Nod or nun, daled, Hey, nada, which is the idea of wandering, aimlessness, homelessness. Cain, his brother, Adam, Eve, they were thrown out of the garden. So they were all in a state of nada, nun, dalid, hey. They were in a state of aimlessness, of wandering, of homelessness. But we want to come home. So we have to get freed, or cut from our aimless conduct. So Peter's talking about this idea through a discharge and a satisfaction of the liens that are held on us by sin and death. That's right. Sin and death has a lien on us. And those of you that know any of the legal jargon out there, You will know what a lien is. That's why when you like buy a house and you got to go through the title company, they're checking for liens on the property to see if it's clear of all encumbrances. Those are liens on the property so that therefore the transfer of property can happen and be put into your name. This is a discharge and satisfaction of liens that was instituted by the Nahash, the serpent of Genesis 3:1, when he snookered or hoodwinked Adam and Eve into taking a bite from the tree of the knowledge of good but evil and becoming one with that tree. We've got to get freed and discharged, and sin and death has to have its satisfaction because it owns the liens on us when we are born into the world. This is why in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, it says, we were not redeemed with silver and gold as though that could offer a payment for this homeless situation we're in and all of the stuff that we're walking around, homeless and aimless and blind and deaf and sick, all these things received by tradition from our fathers. No, no. We are redeemed with the precious blood that is the lifeblood, of Messiah as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And indeed, he was a lamb without blemish and without spot. How do we know that? Because it says in John 1.14, the word, the Dvar, the memra in Aramaic, the logos in Greek, the word Became flesh and dwelt among us or in us. That word was without blemish and without spot. That word was perfect. And when that word came to be one in the expression of the body and the soul of Yeshua, therefore we were looking at Jehovah. Absolutely, 100%. We were looking at a perfect Messiah without blemish and without spot on his inside, in his neshama, in his soul life, which was the soul life of the Word, the Logos, the Memra, the dvar in Hebrew. That is the Word of God. Yes, that's what happened. He was perfect. But you see, All the Jewish anti-missionaries, they love to argue, well, your Jesus wasn't without blemish and spot. He was beaten to a bloody pulp and then stuck on the cross. You see, what's happening is they're looking at the outside and they're saying, you see, he's got all those blood stains on him. He was beaten to a pulp. He's not without blemish and without spot. But you see, that's not what it's talking about. Yeshua on the outside, he got completely decimated. But on the inside, he was that perfect lamb without blemish, without spot. And that's why he was able to do what he did for us. That is what gave us our discharge and all the encumbrances against us in the satisfaction of liens from sin and death that was all completely cleared. And we became the property of Jehovah. Put it another way, the title company of heaven went through a whole due diligence title search. And we came up clean in Yeshua. That's why we were able to be transferred into the new contract and transferred into the new ownership. We became his property, and the title search came up clean. That's how the Father is looking at this. So, in dealing with this discharge and satisfaction of liens, we want to take a look at this idea of a legal discharge and those principles that are found in biblical law. Here's just a few of them, okay? And you can make some notes if you'd like. Where there is no debt... There is no lien. But the opposite would be true. If there is debt, then there is a lien. But we have no debt. Therefore, it's impossible that something can come along and say, I have a lien on you. Not unless you sign yourself over into that debt to create a new lien that you give into the authority of that person, that entity, or that thing. If you don't sign yourself over to that again, which is what Paul is saying, that you are not in bondage again because you haven't signed yourself over to create a new lien. Okay? That's important. So again, where there is no debt, there is no lien. Another principle Discharge of any lien requires that there is going to be a release by way of payment or a change in the status of the property under subjection. And finally, in the Bible, you will learn that there is always a legal acquisition, a formal Kinyan. What is a Kinyan? In Hebrew, the word kinyan is a legal acquisition. Now, consider that even in Israel, when you go to a mall, in Hebrew, it is called going to the kinyan. Why? Because it's the place where you're going to make legal acquisitions. That's why a mall is called a kinyan in modern-day Israel. Because you go into the mall, you go into the shops, you buy things, you are making legal acquisitions by way of a payment of a subject property owned by the person or the proprietor who has ownership of that shop. They're going to sell you the item, you pay for it in the currency that you're going to pay with. And then the legal acquisition takes place and it goes from them and it's transferred from them to you. That's why a mall is called a kinyan. And the same thing is with Yeshua and with us. We were owned by the law of sin and death in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We were owned. Sin and death was our master. It had a lien on us. And when Yeshua died and resurrected, my friends, that was a discharge of liens against us. That is, the word, Yehovah, he made a legal acquisition of us, you and me, as his property. The payment he used for that acquisition was the blood of of Messiah Yeshua. That was the legal acquisition. Okay? So if you understand that principle, you will understand exactly what Shaul is saying when he writes in Colossians 2 13 through 14. And you being dead in your trespasses, that is, in the unfaithfulness, or the Hebrew word there would be Pesha. Pay, shin ein, which is the root in Hebrew. You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Because if the flesh is uncircumcised, that's Deuteronomy chapter 16. If the flesh is uncircumcised, we don't belong to him. When we were dead in our trespasses, and when we were walking in the uncircumcision of your flesh, referring to your heart, based on Deuteronomy chapter 16. That's like saying, I don't want to get circumcised in my heart. I prefer not to give myself over to anybody. I don't care if it's Yeshua, Jesus. It matters not to me. I'm not giving myself over to it or to him or to anybody. I'm the captain of my own soul. I'm the master of my own ship. No one tells me how to live, what to do, what not to do that you're in charge, and that's just the way it's going to be, somebody who's in the flesh is going to say, that's ridiculous. Paul says, he made us alive together with him. With who? With the word in Messiah Yeshua. Having forgiven you all your trespasses, That is, all of your unfaithfulness, all of your criminal behavior, your Pesha. What did he do with it? Paul writes, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, the payment he used for that acquisition was the blood of Messiah Yeshua. That was the legal acquisition. Absolutely. That is the legal document of transfer, if you will, the kinyan or legal acquisition through Messiah. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What did he nail to the cross? The Torah of Moses, the law of Moses? No, look at the context, the discharge of debt, he took that contract belonging to us and nailed it up on that tree. It nullified the legal acquisition that was made back by Adam and Eve with the Nahash with the serpent in the garden. We'll come back on the next podcast, and that'll be program number six in our series. And we're going to talk more about this in regards to Yeshua and what he came to do and get more into this idea of the discharge of the debt and the satisfaction of the liens in the name of Yeshua as it freed us from the law of sin and death in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Take care of yourselves. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week. We'll be back on the next podcast and continue on. This is Avi Ben-Mordecai and Real Israel Talk Radio.